I love, uh, I love a dramatic before and after picture. Uh, the more dramatic, the better. And in between every dramatic before and after picture, there is uh, an intervention of some sort. So let's show those pictures. Here's some dramatic before and after pictures. So, so in between uh, uh, the picture of a guy who's balding and has a hair don't, I don't call that a hairdo, that's a hair don't, and a guy with a full beautiful head of hair is an intervention called a hair replacement program. In between nasty teeth and beautiful pearly whites is an intervention, dental surgery. In between... Uh, the picture of a couple uh, that is overweight and then loses a ton of weight is an intervention called exercise and diet. Uh, in between uh, the picture of a woman who looks to be 75 and then a vibrant, beautiful woman who looks to be 50 is an intervention, a makeover. One of the most uh, incredible, astounding before and after pictures I've ever seen along with the most dramatic intervention I've ever seen, comes in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. This is an incredible story. I want you to look as I read. I want you to look for the before and after picture as well as the intervention that comes in between, that transforms the before into the after. It's a lengthy passage, but it's full of vivid detail. Chapter 5. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of Jesus. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And the people were amazed. <laughs> the before picture comes in verses 1 to 5. Here's a guy hanging out in a graveyard running around in the nude, 
cutting himself and yelling out cuss words. He's a mess. And no one is able, verse 4, no one's able to subdue him. Human resources can't help him. Medicine couldn't help him. Therapy couldn't help him. No one could help him. Oprah couldn't help him. Dr. Phil was speechless. Dr. Laura wouldn't take his calls. This guy is left for dead in the land of the dead. He's hopeless. Verse 5 says that night and day, this guy was crying out and cutting himself with stones. Crying and cutting night and day. Sleep is not even an escape for him because he's got insomnia. So 24-7, this guy is tortured. He's miserable. A little later we find out that a legion of demons has overtaken him. A legion uh, was a a, a number of Roman soldiers. 6,000 Roman soldiers was a legion. And this guy's being oppressed by demons that have the power of 6,000 Roman soldiers. He doesn't have a chance. He is trapped somewhere deep inside of himself. He has dabbled with evil in some way, and now the evil that he dabbled with has overtaken him, and he's lost inside of himself. He's a mess. Now, I doubt that any of you hang out in graveyards and run around in the nude, cutting yourself and yelling out obscenities like you're at a death metal concert. I don't think any of you probably do that, okay? And I doubt that many or any of you cut yourselves externally with stones, though that is a problem among youth today. And if that is your problem, your issue, please talk to one of your pastors. We love you and want to walk you through that. But most of us aren't cutting ourselves externally with stones, But many of us, I think, are cutting ourselves internally with thoughts. We're crying and we're cutting internally behind the external smile with thoughts like, I will never change. My life will never get better. I've fallen, I'll never get up. I'm stuck in a rut. I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, I'm desperate. My life will be miserable like this until the day I die. Nothing's going to change. I've been popping pills and getting drunk for a long time. I could never change now. My relationship with my kid has been so strained for so long, we'll never reconcile. I've made so many bad decisions. I have so many regrets. It has sucked the joy out of my life, and I can't imagine ever being joyful again. I've been battling depression, I've gone to therapists, I've taken medicine, I've sought diversion, and nothing is making a difference. I've been battling pornography since I was 13 years old, and I will never have victory. The religious legalism that is ingrained in me from childhood is inescapable. I could never change now. I am stuck. I am never going to experience any transformation at this point in my life. Those are the thoughts that sometimes cut us like stones on the inside, leaving all kinds of scar tissue that no one else can see but God. Have you given up hope in the power of God 
to change what you deem to be virtually unchangeable. If you find yourself crying and cutting and cut off from people because of it, you are in big trouble. You need an intervention. You need Jesus. And Jesus wants you. And what's so remarkable about this intervention is Jesus' willingness to enter into the unclean mess of our lives and change what we deem to be unchangeable. Look at verses 6 to 14. That's the intervention. Jesus sees this guy in a mess and he's so willing to enter into it. If it was me, I would get back in the boat and go the other way. But Jesus, a good Jew, steps on Gentile land. Like Jews, Jews don't go into Gentile neighborhoods. Think jets and sharks from the West Side Story. Think Crips and Bloods from LA. Jews don't go into Gentile neighborhoods, but Jesus does. And Jews, like Jesus, don't go into graveyards because if they come into contact with the dead, they're considered unclean according to the Jewish law and they can't go to the temple and worship and they have to go through some ritual process of purification. A good Jew doesn't go into a graveyard, but Jesus does. And Jew or Gentile, nobody's going to initiate a conversation with a madman running around naked, cutting himself and yelling out cuss words. But Jesus does. Jesus is not normal. He's not. (laughs) Not at all. He's so willing to enter into the unclean mess of our lives. And what's remarkable is that it's not only in this story, in in Mark chapter 5, the first story, the whole chapter, chapter 5 of Mark, is all about this. Jesus' willingness to enter into the unclean mess of our lives. He does it with this demon-possessed new dude, verses 1 to 20. Right after that, He's traveling along the road and a woman with a, with a hemorrhaging issue, she's got bleeding going on for 12 years and no one could help her. No doctor could help her or fix her. She's got a constant uh, menstruation cycle. She's hemorrhaging. She's bleeding. And in the Jewish culture, a woman who was experiencing her menstrual cycle was considered unclean as well. And she was untouchable. She had cooties. Uh, that's the way it was. And if you came into contact with her, you were unclean. And this woman with a bleeding issue touches the hem of Jesus' garment making him unclean according to the law. And Jesus knew that somebody touched him, and he says, who touched me? And she thinks he's in trouble because she made him unclean. She gave him her cooties. And he doesn't chastise her. He commends her. Your faith has saved you. Go and be free. And then still in Mark chapter 5, a guy named Jairus with a sick daughter begs Jesus to come and heal her. On the way to heal her, the girl, 12-year-old girl, has died. And again, as I've already told you, Jews don't touch dead people because they'll be unclean according to the law. But Jesus goes into the room and he grabs the hand of that dead 12-year-old girl. And he says, get up. And she does. Now, if Jesus is willing to enter an unclean neighborhood with a guy with an unclean spirit around a bunch of unclean pigs and be touched by an unclean woman and an unclean dead kid, guess what? He's willing to enter into your unclean mess as well. Yes, he is. 
And when he does, he will give you a before and after picture of transformation that is astounding. He will. He's the intervention. Now some of us, let's be honest, have gotten really good at covering up the internal crying and cutting going on inside of us behind an external happy face. Behind other externals. Nice car, nice house, good job, cute kids, sense of humor, intellect, charm. And no one can see the crying and the cutting going on inside of us, telling us nothing will change, things won't get better. Except for one. There's one who's traveled a great distance, who sees your cutting and hears your crying and has come a long way from heaven to earth. And when he came, he came to change you. And when Jesus changes you, everything changes. Everything. Jesus, the rock, crushes the stones that cut us inside. A stone is no match for the rock. And I'm not talking about Johnson. I'm talking about Jesus. We'll demonstrate this, and I hope I don't hurt anybody. I'm going to name some of the stones that cut us inside. Jesus, the rock, crushes the stones that cut us inside. The stones of lust. The stones of pride. The stones of emptiness, the stones of loneliness, legalism, judgmentalism, loneliness, helpless despair, that one's getting crossed. Jesus the rock crushes the stones that cut us inside. I don't care if you've got a legion of stones, 6,000 stones cutting you, telling you nothing will ever change, that you are stuck in the rut, you have fallen and you will never get up. Jesus the rock will crush those stones that cut you inside if you let him. And I broke my wife's cutting board, so I'm in trouble. I love the after picture. Here's the after picture. After the intervention of Jesus the rock who crushes the stone that cut us inside, uh, there's the after picture. This guy who was running around in the nude, cutting himself and yelling out cuss words, verse 15, look at it, is now sitting. He's not running anymore, he's sitting. He's clothed, thankfully, finally. And he's in his right mind. He's got peace. And then he wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Uh, Go back to your hometown. Go back to the Decapolis and tell everyone there what I've done for you. And that's what the guy does. He begins to go back to his home. A Gentile goes back to his Gentile neighborhood and tells the Gentiles there what Jesus had done for him and might do for them too. He's the first, I don't know if you get this, he is the first Gentile missionary that we know to Gentile non-Jewish people in the Bible. Before Paul, it was this demon-possessed nude dude who was transformed. He's the first missionary to the Gentiles. 
You talk about a radical transformation. Man. There is a force greater than the forces that oppress you and rob your peace. And the name of that force is Jesus Christ. You don't have to stay in the tombs. You don't have to keep on crying and cutting because there's a force greater than the forces that come against you. The rock that crushes the stones. The alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the author and perfecter of your faith, the one through whom all things are made. Without him, nothing is made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of people, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot snuff it out. And he has this radical willingness to enter into our mess to transform us. And if you let him in, if you let him in, he'll stand at the door and knock. He won't barge his way into your life. He just won't force his way in. You've got to open the door and let him in. And when he comes in, watch out. He will change you. He'll start changing every room in your house like my wife does. (laughs) But you will have peace at night when you lay your head on the pillow. You will have peace. And you will wake up in the morning with a sense of purpose that is beyond this world. Jesus transforms crying and cutting with peace and purpose. Do you want that? Jesus is a thermostat, not a thermometer. A thermometer adjusts to the climate in the room. But a thermostat determines the climate in the room. Jesus is a thermostat. He walks into the room of our lives and changes everything. He turns up the heat or turns down the heat. Because when Jesus changes you, everything changes. Stop waiting for Jesus to change your circumstances. Stop asking Jesus to change your marriage, to change your job, to change your finances, to change your health. Let Him change you. Because when Jesus changes you, everything changes. Your marriage changes. Your friendships change. Your perspective changes. Your practices change. Your habits change. Your desires change. Let him change you and everything changes. Uh, My wife and I have uh, ongoing issues in our marriage and this is one of them. Um, I didn't ask her permission. I hope I can share this. I, I see a lot of you leaning in and taking notes. But uh, she always wants to change rooms in the house because she sees potential in certain rooms and she wants to go in and she's got to make a mess first in order to transform the room. She loves transformation products, uh, processes, um, projects. I don't. I like things to stay as they are. I'm cheap and maybe a little bit lazy. I want to watch football on Sunday instead of play around with a room. But she sees the potential in the room. She sees the potential of the room to be beautiful behind the psychedelic 70s like wood paneling behind the archaic uh, wallpaper she sees the original beauty of the wall or the floor underneath the ugly shag stained carpet you know she sees that and i'll fight her on that every time let's just leave things the way they are it's good enough it's good enough it's good enough but she will not be content until she has made the room which she sees it can be and so i'll go on a trip (laughs) And I'll come back, and there's the transformation. 
And I love it. I love it. God is more like Amy than me in a lot of ways. God loves you just as you are. Let me just say that. He loves you just as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. And if you let him in, he will come into the home of your heart and he will start renovating every room in your house. Bringing out the beautiful, original hardwood floors underneath the ugly carpet. And he won't start with the landscaping and the siding outside. He'll actually go into the heart of the home, into the living room and the dining room, and that's where he starts. Because if God can change our character on the inside, then the landscaping, the behaviors, the, the outward behavior is going to be fine. Jesus will not be content until he has made you what he has determined you ought to be. That's a part of his beauty. I spent a lot of my life crying and cutting. I've shared my testimony in bits and pieces. I'm telling you, I was dead in the water of my sin and shame. By the time I was 18, man, I was ready to give up on life. I had, I had uh, accepted the fact that my life would never amount to much of anything at all. I accepted crying and cutting. Inside, I was defeated. I think about the Charles Wesley hymn. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. God's eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And God replaced the crying and the cutting with peace and purpose. And he can do it for you, too. And if you're here this morning, and you've never made that decision, you've never let Jesus Christ in. He's knocking at the door of your heart. The fact that you're here sitting in a pew, listening to this message about the power of God to transform you and give you peace and purpose is to me, evidence of the fact that God loves you a bunch. He's knocking this morning. If you let him in, he will change you and everything will change. So I invite you this morning to let him in. Let him come in and take up that shag carpet. Get back to the original beautiful design of the hardwood floors of your life and make you whole. Make you whole. And if you say that prayer and invite him in, he will come in. I guarantee it. And if you say that prayer and begin to start following Jesus, tell one of your pastors, tell me, tell one of us, but there's a message here for those of us who are already in Christ as well. Jesus, as soon as he transforms this guy, tells him, go and share with others what I've done for you and can do for them. There's nothing more thrilling in the Christian life than partnering with the God of the universe to tell family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, classmates, teammates what God has done for us and can do for them too. That Jesus, the rock, crushes the stones that cut us inside. There's nothing more thrilling. There's no job promotion more thrilling. There's no academic achievement more thrilling. There's no uh, annual income increase that's more thrilling. There's no intoxication that's more thrilling. There's no sexual ecstasy that's more thrilling. There's nothing more thrilling than partnering with God to redeem and restore people. Some of you longtime Christians, let's face it, are feeling stale and stagnant in your spiritual walk. You do not need another potluck and hymn sing or Bible study, as good as those things are. You need to roll up your stinking sleeves, go to the people in your life, not preach to them, but just tell them what Christ has done for you 
and can do for them too. Because there's people all around us crying and cutting, waiting for hope. And you've got hope if you've got Christ. Well, we're going to baptize some people who are actually going to do what the guy in Mark 5 did. They're going to stand up there in that baptistry in 90 degree water and they're going to tell you what Jesus has done for them. They get to apply Mark chapter 5 this morning. And baptism is a party. Listen, no, no frowns when we baptize, okay? It's a party. This is a party. This is a, I feel like singing cool in the gang, celebrate good times. I won't. But this morning at LWC, we're going to celebrate God times. You ready for that? Now, before we do, yeah, go ahead, clap. Before we do, uh, we're going to have just a, a brief Q&A. All throughout October, we've been having a Q&A, question-answer time, around uh, the sermon topic. So this is the last Sunday for that. I have another series in February that we're going to do, talk back time. But so we're going to have some questions. We're going to have a song. The worship team's coming up. I'm going to let you stretch your legs. We're going to sing, have some 10 minutes of Q&A, and then baptize the four people who are being baptized and, uh, and celebrate like it's 2019, all right? Let's stand together and sing. So uh, the way this works is we've gotten questions, we hope, from you that you've texted in about the, uh, the question of, can Jesus really transform me? Can he change me? And uh, as I've been saying every week, we, we are not the resident experts on Jesus here. Uh, who can really get their mind and heart around who he is and what he can do? But we're going to try our best to answer questions as succinctly as we can and then get on to the baptism. Um, so we will not get to all questions, obviously, but uh, during the week, Wednesday or Thursday, we will, as a staff, wrestle with some of the questions we don't get to this morning and then post them on Facebook so you can uh, just see how we get our, uh, our response to some of your good questions. So, Well, thank you for your message this morning. We appreciate it. Question one. How does spiritual transformation or this intervention that you talk about, how does that happen? Yeah, I think uh, there's practices we can engage in, you know. Uh, how, do we, how do we get good at golf? Anybody good at golf here? Yeah, I'm not, so I can't raise my hand. I'm terrible at golf. Um, but you, people who get good at golf just keep practicing the game. They hit three, four, five hundred balls a week and train their body to do the same thing every time every time. And so it's muscle memory. And I think in the Christian life, something similar is going on in terms of uh, our capacity to be transformed and changed. We just engage in habits that we hope over time will change our inward dispositions. So we spend time in God's word, even when we don't feel like it. We pray even when it's the last thing we want to do. We roll up our sleeves and serve people in need even when we have so much going on in our own lives. Uh, we fast. We forgive when we don't want to forgive and we get in the habit of doing that. You know, um, We keep our integrity when no one's looking and we get in the habit of doing. So I think the way that God changes us, uh, sometimes he does it on the spot. Like when I came to faith in Christ, he took certain desires away from me immediately. I don't need to tell you what those are, but he did. But there were some that took a long time to get rid of desires that were not so healthy in me. And the way those came out of me were through repeated spiritual disciplines, practices that changed me over time. So if you stick with the practice, you give God a window of opportunity to change you. Yeah. 
I agree with you. You know, there's so many people that I come across throughout my ministry, and many times I say to them, just commit. And then they get back with me and tell me that they've fallen, they've failed. And I said, well, recommit. Do it again. And then they fall again. Recommit. Recommit. And I think a big thing about having a spiritual relationship with the Lord is that you have to com- be committed and you need to follow through. You need to trust him. Yeah, sure. Next question. Does transformation occur immediately after I'm baptized and I have asked Jesus into my heart and into my life? No, like I said, I mean, there are some things that happen immediately in terms of change. Like the moment you let Jesus Christ, who's standing at the door knocking at your heart, the moment you let him in, certain things will change. Um, I remember one of the early changes for me was uh, I was into some really hideous rap when I just about the time I tra- uh, converted to Christ. And I remember like Public Enemy and NWA and all those hardcore rap groups. I grew up with that stuff. And I remember like after I became a Christian, singing those songs, a lot of them about, you know, sex and drugs and killing people. And I'm like, I'm singing these songs uh, while Jesus Christ is in my heart. And so really quickly for me, I was like, that's incongruent, right? That's like, that's so, that's so hypocritical and incongruent. So I threw out, so that was quick. Um, but again, like I said, uh, my capacity to be angry with people who get in my way, that took a long time, and God's still working on that. There's certain personality types that I really have a hard time with. And uh, you put me in a room with them, and I just kind of, I just, I shut down or I lash out. And so God is teaching me over time to, to learn to love people I don't like, and that's a process. I agree with you. It doesn't happen overnight. It's uh, the will of your heart. It is the will of your mind. It is your, the will to surrender all to him, and he will help you. Yeah. We have another question. When do you know you need to be transformed? <laughs> My wife tells me. <laughs> My kids tell me. My congregation has told me over the years. Yeah. I think self-awareness is a big thing, though. I, uh, there's a tendency for all of us to either, depending on the day, to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, and then to think more lowly of ourselves than we ought to. And so I think a big part of what happens when the Spirit of God takes up residence in our lives is He gives us a capacity to be self-aware, um, to see what we're good at, to see his gifts and graces in our lives, to see our strengths, that's important, um, but also to see the areas of our lives that still need work. And one of the, uh, one of the beauties, I think, of the church, you know, there's, there's Christians out there, and they're, they're good people, and some people are shut in, but uh, there are people who don't go to church. They want Jesus, they just don't want the church. And, oh, I've got to be careful, I'm going to get in trouble saying this, I know you're going to send me emails and letters, but uh, the oddest people I know... <laughs> are the people who say they love Jesus but won't go to church because they, they shy away from community. And community, Christian community, can become a mirror that shows us not only our strengths but our weaknesses and helps us become self-aware. And if you don't have community and you're you know, watching a TV preacher and not rubbing elbows with other brothers and sisters in Christ, 
You can become wacky real quick if you don't have a mirror in front of you called community. I think we ought to stop with that.